Thank you, Alice and Monty. I want to begin my sermon this morning with a, a letter that I received this week. The church did. Uh, we put the outlaws in our bulletin to pray for them. They're starting their ministry in Honduras. And uh, across the years, I've re we've received quite a few letters, but this one's so well written. I want you to hear it. It's from Hayden and Helen and Everett Outlaw. Dear First Baptist Church of Clifton and Brother Jerry, thank you all so much for all of your support as we prepare to move to Honduras in order to, to answer God's calling in obedience to his call on our lives. You're such a large part of our going on the mission field. You've encouraged and walked with us through so much of our faith journey. You loved on Hayden in the nursery and displayed God's love and tenderness you faithfully taught him truths from God's word as a child. You walked with him through his teen years and constantly pointed him to Christ and the cross. Then Hayden went off to college and you showed him that the reach of the Lord goes further still by being a church that continued to reach to him, pray for him, encourage him, and shepherd him in his faith. When we got married, you overwhelmingly blessed us, not just with your gifts, but with your kindnesses and acceptance of me and to your church family. You taught us that covenant is worthy of celebration. You have continued to love us, sharing with us when our son Everett was born, and praying for us, and continuing to be so faithful in building us up. Now you love on him in the nursery, just as you did for Hayden when he was there almost 30 years ago. You've not grown weary in your support of us. Instead, you have overwhelmed us once again with your outpouring of love and support, the lessons you have taught us about the character of God by your faithfulness, your love, your kindness, your persistence have caused us to love God with all of our heart, soul, and strength, which gives us the courage to walk forward in obedience to him. We love you all and thank God for you. Hayden. Helen, and Everett Outlaw. We'll publish this next week, but I want to begin my sermon this morning with a prayer for them because God answered a prayer for them to find a place to live in Honduras. And if you see the little Trujillo coffee signs around, they're bivocational. They're trying to help support themselves by the selling of Trujillo coffee, which, which they prepare and they, they're working with, and they have another couple that's working with them. Let's begin my sermon this morning with a prayer for them. Father, we thank you for Hayden, particularly that he grew up in this church and came to know you, Lord Jesus, in this place as a young boy. We thank you for his faithfulness even now, that he gave up a good job, that Helen gave up a job, and they've moved to Honduras in answer to your call to seek to plant churches there and support the believers there in Honduras. And we pray for their safety. We pray for their little son, Everett. We pray for the families that they leave behind here in the states as they go to the mission field, Lord. Surround them and protect them with your love. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. And may they have the wisdom to know how to minister cross-culturally. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Matthew, the 16th chapter. <clears throat> the price of your soul. If y'all can put the four verses up there, I'm going to read... Verses 24, 25, 26 are three verses. I'll focus on 26 a little bit later, but I want you to see if you don't have a Bible, you can look at the screen. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Those are three easy things to remember. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, 
but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And here's the verse I'll focus on a little bit later. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? The New Century Version does verse 26 like this. It is worth nothing for them to have the whole world if they lose their souls. They could never pay enough back to get their own souls. Phillips translates it like this. For what good is it for a man to gain the whole world at the price of his own soul? And what could a man offer to buy back his soul once he has lost it? And the New Living Translation says, And how do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul in the process? Is anything worth more than your soul? I'm going to give you four names this morning. Now those of you in the early service, you keep your hands down. I know some people have to be in both services. And, but I want to know if you know these names, if you recognize them. Jeff Murphy, age 53, from Illinois. Randy Billiou, originally from Florida, then moved to Colorado, age 54. Eric Ashby, age 31, of Colorado. And Paris Wallace, age 52, originally from North Carolina, from Grand Junction, Colorado. Does anybody know those four people? Anybody at all? Heard of them? In my article, I wrote a little, just a little blurb, about third of the way down or fourth of the way down, about Forrest Finn and his treasure hunt. When Brenda and I lived in New Mexico, we often went to Santa Fe. It's one of our favorite places, a beautiful old town. The oldest house is there in the United States. There's a beautiful spiral staircase. doesn't have a nail one in it. It's an architectural marvel. It goes up in the little mission church there from the floor to the balcony, and it, it's, it's incredible just to visit. But Forrest Finn had a gallery that we used to like to visit up on the old Santa Fe Road Trail up there. And, and he handled antiquities, handled famous paintings, some more modern than others, some old paintings, Frederick Remington, Charles Russell, C.M. Russell. And he'd have original sculptures and Navajo rugs and that kind of thing, and also books. And then he found out at age 80 that he had cancer. And so what he wanted to do was to get people off the couch. Now, some of you young people know what I'm talking about. Your dad or your mom is a couch potato. Isn't that right? They just come in and they crash and they lay on the couch. Well, maybe they don't lay on the couch. Maybe they go to their chair. Does anybody here have moms and dads that have their chair? Well, I'm not talking to the right group. Have any of your moms and dads ever said to any of you, or grandmas and granddads, I wish you'd get off the couch and do something? Forrest Finn's goal was to get people off the couch. So what he did is he, he loaded up this treasure box, Romanesque, 1,100, 1,200, full of gold, 42 pounds of gold. Gold doubloons, American double eagles, antiquities, gems, special. And he hid it above 5,000 feet in the Rocky Mountains. And that, he wrote a book called, uh, you know, The Thrill of the Hunt trying to encourage people to get out and do something. Well, he did. There's whole websites created to his clues. He wrote that book, and in the book there's a poem that gives nine clues as to where that is. And there's bloggers that have multiple blogs about, we think we've got it, we've solved this clue. We know, well, all four of these men whose names I read lost their lives looking for that gold. Now, their soul's in God's hands, and I'll let him decide about their soul. But their lives... They lost 
looking for the gold. And one of those was a pastor from Grand Junction, Colorado, the last name I read, Paris. What possesses people to give up their lives and search for something that will not last? I want you to stop and think about that. Okay? Let's stop and think about what things are worth. How much is a soul worth this morning? How much is your soul worth? What could we buy your soul for? You see, because every day I see people give their souls up for a pittance of what they're worth. And I'm not judging them. It's just how they live their lives. It's interesting. What about your health? How much is it worth? I've got several doctors here this morning. How much is your health worth? If you have a heart surgery, I've had heart surgery, I can tell you it can run you from about 60 grand on up over 100,000 if you have some kind of major transplant or multiple bypass where they open you up and do, you know, really serious heart surgery, it can get up in the four and $500,000 range. You say, man, that's, that's tough. What about a kidney? We've had a lady kidney transplant, average kidney transplant. If you're fortunate enough to get on a list to get one, about $256,000. And if you hadn't visited an emergency room lately, I'm going to tell you, it's going to cost you, right? Y'all are saying, well, why are you talking about that? It has nothing to do with our soul. Well, yes, it does. How much is your life worth? How much is your eyesight worth to you? You see, I'm wearing glasses. I don't see as good as I used to. They are readers. I probably need prescription lenses, but I'm too cheap, so I just use readers. How much is your brain power worth? Most of us in here can think, can't we? Well, now some of you men, I feel sorry for you because your wife's been telling you, you didn't even think about it. I gave you that list and what'd you, I sent you to the grocery store and what would you come back? Aren't you glad, men, that y'all have cell phones? You can call and say, what was that you told me to get? You know? How much does a new Ford F-250 pickup truck, three-quarter ton cost? Anybody want to take a guess? 80 grand, some of them. Early, early service said 40 to 50 grand. And I asked the person that said that, I said, you got one? He said, no, my truck has 300,000 miles on it. That's the way mine is. You see, we, we attach certain, basically, values to things that we have. Have you ever thought about our culture and how materialistic we are? Look at the first thing Jesus says if you're going to follow him. Deny yourselves. If anyone would come after me, let he or she, they must deny themselves. Mm, we're not very good at denying, are we? I'm not. Have you ever seen one of those little cupcake or candy factories, stores called Sweet Indulgences? Mm, they've got sex shops called that too. Sweet Indulgences. We're the most indulgent society on the face of the earth, folks. We may not like that, but we are. We have more people that have more than any other people on the face of the earth materially. <clears> this <throat> seen in, in our culture, the overt materialism as a sign of success. We've made it big. We've got it. A few years ago, 2010, one and a half million people, 1,530,078 people file for bankruptcy. 2011, it dropped a little bit. 1,400,000, 1,400,000 people file for bankruptcy. Last year, 
and the year before, 800,000 plus. So the last two years, about 1.6 million people file for bankruptcy in the most wealthy society on the face of the earth. Say, well, we're not the most wealthy. The Middle East has got all the money. Well, the Middle East has a lot of our money because we've been, we've been buying oil from them for years, you know. But before you climb on your soapbox and say it's all the young couples that file for bankruptcy, no, it's not. Senior adults are living longer than they ever planned to. They've mortgaged their houses. They've done reverse mortgages. They've tried to figure out, and some, in fact, are filing for bankruptcy. It covers the whole gamut. There's not an age. You say, well, why are you talking about bankruptcy, Brother Jerry? I'm having enough hard time. I don't need that. We have a great many people living beyond our means, okay? Let's just be honest about it. And all of us have done it probably at some, some time in our life. I have my good friend back in the back. About two weeks ago, he walked out the back door and his word to me was, money is not nearly as important as it used to be. Isn't that right, Glendale Jones? Money is not nearly important as it used to be. Okay, stop and give that some thought. You see, Jesus also says you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross. Now, we don't like crosses, most of us. Most of us, when we think of the cross, it is a, a symbol and a reality of crucifixion because Jesus died on the cross, folks. But what do we do with crosses? We adorn our walls with them. We make them pretty. We dress them up. In fact, in a few weeks, we're going to have a cross sitting right here again. We're going to put flowers on it. Kind of lessens the dramatic effect of the crucifixion. If you visit Catholic churches, though, in nearly any Catholic church, you will find a cross central in their worship center with Jesus still hanging on the cross as a reminder of the crucifixion. If you visit some Protestant churches like the one I grew up, there's a large cross that hangs over the baptistry, but it's a, it's a gold cross, probably polished bronze to look like gold. See, we want the cross to not be offensive to us. We, we understand, take up the cross, that Jesus took up the cross, but we don't want to take up the cross. I want to read the back of Hayden and Helen's prayer card. comes out of Philippians 3.8. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Is knowing Christ the most valuable thing you know and the most valuable person you know? Do you have Jesus in your heart today? Do you know him personally? You know, Paul said it like this, for the preaching of the cross or the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing or dying, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's 1 Corinthians 1.18. Then Jesus says, follow me. We don't like that one either, do we? Now, you know, we don't like follow me because it involves obedience. Don't y'all just love obedience? Children, don't y'all just love to obey your parents? Hmm... I know everybody's sitting there pretty much, you know. Uh, obedience is not something that's going to win a lot, of, a lot of accolades, is it? If you come out to my house, occasionally you'll see me with one of the dogs I have, and he's dragging me all around because I'm not a dog whisperer. I never have been. 
you know, and I get so frustrated because they won't listen to me. I'll hold their hand, their, their face right in my hands. I said, do you understand what I'm telling you? Do you not understand? You do not run off. You do not do this. You can't chase the neighbor's cows. You shouldn't grab a hold of the, of the tail of my horse and, and run that horse up and down. You're not going to do that while you're here. If, it, if anybody needs a dog, you know the little girl said her parents gave the dog away. I still have that dog, okay? If y'all want it, I still have it. Uh, you know, it, it won't quit chasing the neighbor's cows and it won't quit. So the dog has to be pinned up, you know? Well, you know, when Jesus says, follow me, what's he talking about? It's, a, it's about forgiveness, forgiving those that have wronged us and continue to wrong us. It's about seeking to make things right because he calls us to be people who try to get along with one another. As far as it depends on you, Scripture says, you be at peace with everyone. It's about seeking to meet the needs of others. When we see somebody in need, the Scripture says, when you see somebody in need and you have the means to provide for their needs, we're to do what? Take it and run to the bank? No. We're to provide for their needs. You know, I preached on that last week. And even as you've done it on the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you've done it unto me. It's also about being responsible to whom much is given, much is required. Now, it's also about letting go of things that we think our security is in and putting them in someone we cannot see. You see, to walk by faith is to put our faith in Jesus though we can't see him and to trust him to lead us and guide us. It's always been amazing how God works when we do that. The bottom line is, folks, we have trouble trusting Jesus and following him. You know why? Because most of us are control-oriented. We want to control everything and everybody. Husbands want to control their wives. Wives want to control their husbands. Parents want to control their children. Children know how to play the parents. They know what pushes their buttons, what gets them upset. So they can. And there's this ongoing conflict always. Am I not preaching to the right group? I'm not getting any amens this morning. You know, no laughter out there in the pews this morning. You know, I really wanted Lisa Payne to, to sing the song this morning that she sung before. We fall down, we get up. We fall down, we get up. And the saying is just a sinner who fell down and got up. If you didn't see, if you didn't see the little musical last, last night or Friday night up at our our school, elementary school, fifth grade, uh, produced the musical, Susical the musical, because Dr. Seuss's birthday was on Friday. And there's a line that Jonah Payne, Lisa, and Stephen's son has. He plays Horton the Elephant in the musical, and he's, he hears people on a speck of dust, on a little flower, and he's all worried about them, and everybody thinks Horton has lost his mind. But he keeps hearing them. And this line is one of the most quoted lines out of Dr. Seuss, of all the books that he that he wrote, a person is a person no matter how small. A person is a person no matter how small. You see, that applies to little children. Because Dr. Seuss was a children's book writer. And he wants to get the message across to us as adults that no matter how small the little people are in our midst, that they are all living souls, folks. And they all need people to look up to. Jack Cameron, who flew for American Airlines, a member of our church, reminded me in the early service. He said, Brother Jerry, 
there's three things when a plane is in trouble that they ask pilots to do. The first thing they ask, how's your fuel? <laughs> how's your fuel? Second thing, how much weight do you have in fuel? In other words, are we going to, if you crash land, or how many fire trucks are we going to need to go out there to the plane? And how many souls do you have on board? Those are the three questions pilots get asked. So what's the value of a soul this morning? Let's consider what our soul is worth. Do some comparisons with me. The world is temporal, folks. The soul is eternal. You hear that? Everything around us is someday going to pass away. Now, years ago, I did a funeral for one of our members, and guess where he's buried? Up at Laurel Land in an air-conditioned vault in a big mausoleum there. I don't know how much that costs, folks, and I don't imagine how much embalming fluid is going to be there. Yeah, his, his remains are probably going to be there a while until the air conditioner breaks down, but someday, even that mausoleum, I want to share, maybe 100 years from now, 200, it's going to be destroyed. It's going to be gone. And I don't care how much embalming fluid is put in any of us here if we're buried normally out here like we would be in most cemeteries. Eventually, guess what? It's going to happen. It's going to turn back to dust. Even the mummies they found that have been in those tombs in the pyramids for years, if you thump one of them, guess what happens? They crumble and break. Dust to dust. Isn't that what the scripture says? So, but the soul, the body's good. It's just an old tense, what Paul says it is. But the soul lives on forever. Hear what the scripture says, Ecclesiastes 12, 7. Remember him before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel is broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. 2 Corinthians says it like this, 4, 16 through 18. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all, so that we fix our eyes on Jesus, not on what is seen, but what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Folks, our old bodies are perishing. They're wasting away. I'm not as strong as I used to be, and neither are you, unless you've been working out. Now, just to applaud one of our members, Sydney's going to state powerlifting. We've got a girl, Brent Finney's oldest daughter, going to state in powerlifting. If y'all want to beef up and tone up your body, you see Brent Finney right back here. He's the weightlifting coach up at the high school. He can get you back in shape. But you know, I worked on a lawnmower the other morning and I laid on a concrete floor, you know, working on that lawnmower. I'm just not, I can't, I used to take that lawnmower and push it to the back of the truck and pick up the front and put it on the tailgate and go around, I didn't have ramp, go around and pick up the back of that riding lawnmower and push it up in that truck. And I've done that a hundred times. I can barely lift a wheel anymore. You know, we're, we're perishing. We're wasting away. I had the privilege of being in the room with our newborn grandbaby boy, Banner, back in the middle of January on the 17th up at Goodall Witcher Hospital. Brenda and I took the other little grandchildren up there to see their new little baby brother. 
And when I saw him, I thought, how beautiful, how important, all the potential that's there. This newborn born child, all the potential. And then I thought, how fragile. I held him for the first time yesterday. See, he's already been born a month and a half. I finally held him for the first time. You ever held a newborn baby? You don't, you don't want to let them, they got the, still got the head wobblies. You got to make sure you got the hand there and you're afraid you'll drop them. Anybody ever been, you know, here this little baby's already having to dodge balls and stuff because he's got three older siblings and they're coming up trying to hug him and my mercy, he's going to have a tough time. Be a miracle if he survives, you know. As beautiful as that child is with all the potential, he's still fragile. Hear me. Regardless of how strong we are, Brent Finney, we're still fragile. It doesn't take much to bring us down. You young people, thank y'all. We're immortal. Nothing can stop us. Nothing. No, we've got it. I want to share something with you. You're just as fragile as the people sitting around you in the congregation. Y'all know we lost over 40 children to the flu this year. Children. Strong. We lost young men and women that were working out, running for miles, who come in sick, and the next thing you know, they're dead because of the flu. Bizarre. You see, I don't think any of us are here by accident. It's amazing, though, how fragile we are. God loves the soul more than all creation. Why? Because the soul of man is made in his image. Folks, we have God's image stamped on us, whether we believe it or not. And regardless of how marred that image may be, and sin does mar. How do we assess what our soul is worth? Well, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. That's what the psalmist says in 139. God shaped us and formed us in our mother's womb and allowed us to be born into this world. Listen to the scripture. For you created my inmost being. What is that? Our soul. And you knit me together in my mother's womb, and I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Every one of us in here is uniquely made. Uniquely made. We're all unique in creation. No two have the same fingerprints. No, no two have the same exact DNA. Now, y'all can believe whatever you want to about creation. I believe God created me. If you want to believe that you crawled out of some primordial evil mass and became an amoeba and crawled up in through there and then became a, a lizard and then a dinosaur and then you know you go ahead and believe that all you want to i don't believe that for a minute folks i believe there's evolution don't get me wrong and i've studied science and i've studied geology and i can see you see that the problem we have is we always want to try to figure things out and some things are a mystery some of us have been close to death, and it's a mystery how we survived. Well, I want to share with you, I believe we're created by God with His purposes and plan in mind, and we find our greatest joy when we fulfill that purpose and live in the power of His Holy Spirit in our world. You know, it won't be too long before that little baby boy that was born into our family finds out that the old world is a tough old place. It won't be too long before he'll hear the word no. You know, I had my little grandbaby, a little anthem fair. She's about three years old now, Brenda. 
she was trying to get into my bird feed yesterday after we'd already fed all the birds, and she had her hand over there getting the scoop, and I saw, I was working on something. I said, no, Anthem. No, Anthem. Third time I said no, she just broke down and cried and cried, and he ran in the house crying. Well, she didn't, she didn't like the word no. Most of us don't like the word no. A little bit later... I went and got her, so y'all know, I'm, I'm a softie. I went and got her and pulled, <laughs> pulled her back out there and went over there and helped her dig the, the bird seed out. And we went and fed the birds. Yeah, I caved in. You see, that's what grandparents do. Well, a little bit later, my son Joshua was correcting his daughter, Ellie. And I, I simply put my, after he'd gotten on to her and she was crying, I put my arm around her and I said, it's going to be okay. And Josh looked at me and said, Dad, you're not helping you know, what's he saying to me? He's saying, hey, I'm disciplining her for what she did wrong. You're showing her compassion and mercy at the time she needs to understand discipline. That's not helping. But see, that's what grandparents do, don't we? <laughs> we spoil our children, then give them back, our grandchildren, then give them back to our children so they can take them home and have to deal with them. You know, folks, we are alive by God's grace and purposes the soul is eternal and we're created in the image of God. And He has grace and purpose for every one of us here. Those of you that have close brush with death know exactly what I'm talking about. If you've been close to dying or you've had died and come back to life, basically, you live what? One day at a time because that's all we're guaranteed. You celebrate the gift of that day. Why does it make sense? Why does it even have any sense at all that we would destroy the gift of one day by being frustrated and angry and upset? I've destroyed enough of those days and wasted enough of those days doing that. You know? We're alive by God's grace. and We can and should enjoy life one day at a time on this earth. And that's all we're promised. James says it like this. Hey, Whenever you say you're going to go do something, you better say, if it's the Lord's will, we will go do this or that. Why? Because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, God loves us so more than all creation because He sent His Son Jesus to make sure we understood how to live on this earth for all eternity. Now here's our predicament. We're all sinners, right? Anybody not going to agree with that? Here's what the scripture says, Romans 5. You see, just at the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For me. For you. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but shall have eternal life. And live for all eternity. We're loved by God, folks, for all eternity here and now. All of our sins are forgiven past, present, and future. And Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly or to its fullness or to full and overflowing. What you sometimes miss is what precedes the latter part of John Verse 10, 14. Hear it. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. You see, when we lose out on life, it's because we allow the thief to come in and steal our joy and kill our spirits 
and destroy what little bit of life we may have. Now, I run across people all the time that are living up in a nursing home and they're lying in bed and they're bed fast and their days are numbered and they can't get up and they say, Brother Jerry, why does God still have me here? And you know what I always tell them with a smile on my face? Because your pastor needs prayer. And your pastor's dealing with a bunch of your fellow church members down there that need prayer. See, y'all laugh. The early service didn't laugh at all when I said that. But the truth is, all of us need prayer. All of us need encouragement. And even when somebody is bedfast, if they still have their ability to think, they can pray for us, folks. And if not, they are opportunity for us to show them God's presence in our lives by making our presence known in their lives. You see, some of the most meaningful times for me as a pastor is to lean over the, the, the life of a saint that I have loved, that I've cared about, and just kiss them on the forehead or put my hand on them and pray for them. I have an old Lutheran man that's a dear friend of mine. His name's Ole Bakke. He's been sent home to die. He wants to die on his farm where he grew up and worked all these years. Ole Bakke, so you know who he is, has helped me at the food drive for the last 25 years. The last two years he hadn't been there. He's the first one there at 6 a.m. every morning annually. Come rain, snow, cold, winter, nice weather, whatever. Always there at 6 a.m. to help me collect food. One of the most gracious and kind people I've ever known. And he's now close to going to his real home. You see, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Do you know how fortunate we are to have Jesus in our heart, to know Christ? Do we take our salvation for granted? Do we take our faith for granted? Do we offer up thanks enough? Some of you are saying, well, Brother Jerry, I'm just broken hearted. This has happened and this has happened and this has happened. I don't understand. Well, neither do I, folks. I wish I could fix everybody's problems, but I can't. All I can do is pray with you and pray for you. But see, God's Word says, Psalm 34, 18, but our God is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. You ever been crushed in spirit? I have. God specializes in saving us. An old professor I had at seminary, I had the opportunity to sit under for a few days. His name was T.B. Mastin, taught Christian ethics for over 30 years. And by the way, he and his wife took care of an invalid son all of their lives. But years ago, 40 years ago, I wrote in the front of my Bible something that he said. It's right here in the middle of the page, one of the first things I wrote in there. Hear what he said. Life is too short to do anything other than God's will. Give that some thought. Why waste a day? It's too short to let the thief steal and rob and kill and destroy our spirit, our joy, our love, our laughter. Oh, I didn't want to hurt that little baby's feelings wouldn't hurt that little girl's feelings for all the money in the world when I told her no and when she got her feelings hurt she ran in the house crying obviously I I love that little girl I want her to know I love her I went in and got her back and I brought down I stuck her hand down in there you know life's too short we were watching that Susical last night the musical and I had a little granddaughter her older sister sitting on my lap and 
Horton, if you've ever seen or know the story, he has to hatch an egg because the bird goes off and leaves him on the nest. Well, I want you all to know that egg sat on our table for a while at the house because my wife did all the backdrops and the, the, all the costumes and all that kind of stuff. And my little granddaughter, she looked up at me and she said, Jeters, do you think that egg's a chocolate egg? <laughs> I thought that was great. You know, a chocolate egg, man, that's a big egg. That'd be a lot of chocolate to eat, you know? How's your soul this morning? And what are you trading it for? Are you living your life so that you're getting the maximum value out of life and your soul is nourished? Or are you frittering the value of your soul away on something that is much less? You see, I see people all the time trade their life away for something much less. What will a man give or a woman or a young person in exchange for their soul? May we pray. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your word. It always finds a place in our heart if we're willing to listen and let your spirit speak. I thank you again for Hayden and Helen and Everett Outlaw and their willingness to follow you to Honduras to share the gospel there. Pray that you'd bless them in their new home and help them in their new ministry and help them to be able to connect and make disciples and see people come to know you, Lord. And I pray for all the people that are here this morning, Lord, that by your spirit you would speak to them this day and help them to Help them to know you, Lord, as Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our hymn of invitation just as I am. I'll be here at the front to receive you as a decision you'd like to make. Or if you're looking for a church home, we'd love to have you. Would you stand? Hymn number 240.